Welcome back, I'm Hermine. In this episode of our Green Deal podcast, we continue our tour of the many and varied challenges that climate change poses in our daily lives and innovative solutions that Europe citizens are coming up with to face them. This time, we are looking at a trend that first emerged in Northern Europe several decades ago, but is now becoming more widespread across the block, cluster housing. This is when people decide to live together in grouped housing projects that involve some element of community living. The decision is driven by financial, social and environmental considerations. In addition to sharing some common spaces, the multiple occupants, who may be owners or tenants, often share other things including sustainability principles and a desire to help each other out. The flexibility of cluster housing has enabled it to stand the test of time and adapt to people's needs in a wide variety of cultural contexts. Over the years, for example, the individual properties in these developments have become smaller and greener, with much larger communal areas. Today, 1.5 of Denmark's population, around 50,000 people, live in cluster developments. So could cluster housing be a pathway to a new, more efficient, cost-effective and collective way of life elsewhere in the EU? In this episode, we talk to citizens living or wanting to live in cluster developments about their reasons for choosing this more communal way of living and any obstacles they are facing. Paola Pica is a co-owner at Basse Gaia, the first self-established cluster development in Milan. The initial group of 10 families set up the project as a cooperative, working with a pool of industry professionals to build an eco-sustainable, community-oriented housing complex. While clearly strengthening community ties, cluster housing is also more sustainable, Paola tells Giulia at Radio 24, because it enables reduced energy consumption, promotes a sharing economy and facilitates share mobility all at the same time. We have this sharing economy culture. It's become second nature for us, that if someone has something that someone else needs but doesn't have, they can simply go and take it. This might be a bicycle. Or the fact that for children who go to the same school, we've developed an internal system by which all these children are taken to school by one parent. We are organized in this way. We also entered a joint purchasing group that already existed in the Feltre neighborhood where we live. When large quantities of goods arrive, we store them and later on we distribute them among the families that made the purchase. These kinds of initiatives have not reached all EU countries yet, but there is a growing interest in southern and eastern parts of the bloc, in Poland for example. Joanna Kanziowka from Poland's Zero Waste Association Detail some of the advantages of such schemes to Kasia from Polskie Radio. In Poland, this is something that's just starting to develop, as there are organizations or architectural companies trying to create such spaces. But of course, the idea of cluster housing emerged on a wave of dissatisfaction with the housing on offer in the market. And cluster housing allows us to live as we like, to design the common space the way we want it. So that it's a nice meeting place, one in which we can prepare, cook and eat meals together. Somewhere we can have a garden, 
where we can grow our own food, which we will then eat. So this kind of investment gives us, on the one hand, a chance to rebuild social ties, to be less anonymous. And on the other hand, it's also a big plus for the environment. If we invest in a larger unit with common spaces, then we'll spend less money on building materials. And if we grow our own food, it's clear that it is as local as possible. However, because of their innovative nature, these projects come up against a number of hurdles. One of these is funding. Masha Haulina from a Slovenian housing cooperative explains that there is a community living project in the planning stages in Ljubljana, but that it has currently hit a brick wall due to a lack of support, both financial and administrative. We are currently looking for ways, together with stakeholders, to carry out such a project, to find suitable sources of funding and to encourage those responsible to establish mechanisms that will enable the so-called co-living communities to get off the ground. Portuguese architect Sara Brisch, who conducts research into community housing projects, expands on this point in an interview with Radio Renascença Cristina. There's still a lack, and I'm not just referring to Portugal here, it's a bit the case all over Europe, a lack of credit, literally. In other words, there's a lack of confidence on the part of the banks in relation to these groups, because this is seen as something with a greater risk, something unconventional, and everything that's unconventional scares them a little. But there are already some ethical banks, for example in Spain, that have financed a large part of such projects. And there are the so-called green banks in Germany, which basically encourage, even prioritize, financing projects that have sustainable ecological construction and community life as their central tenets. British also urges the EU to update certain regulations and standards as part of its renovation drive in order to facilitate and simplify such initiatives. Yet administration are a bit at loss dealing with such initiatives, explains Paola Pica, a member of Milan's ultimately successful Baiskaya cluster development. Co-housing is not part of the agreements that the municipality usually establishes with building companies. The municipality of Milan, just like any other municipality, has agreements in place to build a house, to build a school, to build a hospital and so on. But the concept of co-housing was entirely new to them. Just taking an existing agreement for building a house and adapting it to our specific reality involved a lot of bureaucracy. We lost a year for sure, maybe even more, just having to deal with all of the different departments. In some countries, too, there is less to recommend these collective housing solutions. Romania, for instance, where house prices are still low, and some 95% of citizens now own their own home. But all across Europe, those on a particularly tight budget, such as students, are likely to opt for some kind of shared housing scheme, even if only temporarily. Emilia is a student at the Academy of Economic Studies in Bucharest. She began her studies in 2020, right in the midst of the pandemic, and completed her first year online. In her second year, she rented a flat with two fellow students. Radio Romagna asked her if money was a factor in her decision. Yes, of course. This is one of the reasons why I chose to stay with a friend. As a student, money is tight. 
Reducing costs is therefore one of the main reasons why a student chooses to share with someone else. And prices on a student campus can be much lower than rent. Sharing the costs with other people is a very good option, but sharing also creates a different kind of atmosphere. However, house sharing or living in cluster housing should also be seen in the context of a changing life philosophy to a large extent spurred on by the pandemic, with more and more people now working from home. Multifunctional, shared living spaces may well be the way forward. But COVID-19 has also encouraged today's youth that they need to live their lives to the full while they can. This is why Lithuanian student Vidmantje Krušinskaite thinks that home ownership is not only less realistic for the younger generation in this era of spiraling house prices, but also less tempting. She tells our colleagues Augustie at Radias that young people want to use their money to travel and experience the world. One of the main reasons why I stayed in the dorms for so long, longer than I wanted to, is simply because I love to travel. For me, every 100, 150, 200 euros saved means that I will be able to fly on a trip this month instead of living closer to downtown. And about the future plan, we have all the possibilities, such a great mobility and such wide opportunities and conditions to work, live, travel, volunteer in any part of the world, including the European Union. This is me, at least at the moment, and for a good 10 to 15 years in the future. I see this as my life plan. I don't know when or where I will live, but I know I'll have a good time. Babos Anna Maria, co-chair of Co-Housing Budapest, a Hungarian association working in the field of community living, backs up this view as she tells journalist Xilla at them. And she believes that this trend among the young proves that cluster housing has a real place in our future societies. In Hungary, there's currently no real co-housing type of residential building or complex. And we set up our association with the aim of establishing the first housing community of this type in Budapest and in the country. We believe that in, let's say, 10 years, this will become a widely accepted form of housing here as well. Our view is that there is a need for a pilot project. And once people see that it works, similar developments will start to be built. This is what happened in Denmark, albeit much earlier, as well as in Vienna, Berlin, Zurich. In lots of major European cities, this has been the case. I would say that it is, on the whole, the older generation who feels strongly that owning private property is essential. As we talk to younger people and watch the property market in Budapest developing, the younger generation, young professionals, no longer only envisage their lives in privately owned properties. That's why I believe this is so relevant. Maybe not quite yet, but it will gradually become so over time. That's it for today. In our next episode, we will consider how much of a difference planting trees actually makes in terms of fighting climate change. Till then, take care.